internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I went back to the theaters! Sort of. One of the local drive-ins was actually playing movies from 2020 instead of, you know, recycling the old classics. And so, I decided to check those two out. They were Palm Springs, the new Hulu movie from... Uh, Andy Samberg and the crew from Lonely Island, and an Australian horror movie called Relic, uh, released by IFC. So uh, we're going to talk about them, plus uh, the Walking With trilogy, uh, Walking With Monsters, Dinosaurs, and Prehistoric Beasts, and a Magic School Bus and its sequel series, The Magic School Bus Rides Again, in honor of the uh, co-creator's uh, recent passing. So, let's get started. I can't keep waking up in here. Everything that we are doing is meaningless. I hope it's not all meaningless. At least you have each other. Nothing worse than going through this shit alone. Stop! There's a bomb in the cake. Don't worry. I used to be a bomb guy. Stand back! Ah! Oh my god! It's gonna be a beautiful wedding. So yeah, despite uh, being a Hulu original, uh, one of my local drive-ins, which is kind of the only theater that's been managing to stay open during this this whole gestures at everything, but um, they were playing it for one week only uh, at that drive-in, so I figured I'd catch it last night of before they switched out for, um, I think now they're playing like Iron Man and, Be- and the Beauty and the Beast remake, so they're back to like, you know, tried and true uh movies but uh yeah it was, it was interesting um i actually went with my dad and <laughs> sadly uh his car battery died midway through this movie uh he's got a 10 year old car and um <laughs> so uh, we had to listen thankfully he had an android because uh that you there's the only way to listen to the movie is through the fm tuner really depending on if you can find at this drive in an actual speaker to put in your car, um, but for the most part, most people listen to it through their FM radio, and that means when his car died, uh, there was no way to listen to the movie. We just had to sit there and watch the screen, and hopefully pick up amb- some of the ambient uh, audio from somebody else's radio. Um, thankfully, he had an Android, which has an FM receiver on it, but only when you use a <laughs> um, use a uh, headphone. Uh, uh, wired-in headphone. Crazy stuff, man. Anyway, uh, this movie is, essentially, if you've seen the trailer, uh, Groundhog Day, but a rom but as a rom-com. So we've, so far, uh, in the last couple years, uh, we've been seeing, like, Groundhog Day, but as a horror movie. Groundhog Day, but as a teen drama. Groundhog Day, but as, uh, what was the other thing? Uh, but, you know, we've been seeing the premise of living the same day over and over again being um, being, re- being used more and more uh, in recent years, it seems like. But here, besides Groundhog Day, I think this is one of the better uses of it. Uh, here being, um, what's interesting is that we're, we start the movie with Sandberg having already gone through the day multiple times. So, like, hundreds of times, probably, before he's joined by, uh, I forget her name, I didn't recognize her from anything, um, let me pull up the 
Kristen Meliotti, uh, did not recognize her from anything. Um, the big names are Andy Samberg, uh, and J.K. Simmons, although Peter Gallagher actually shows up as the father of the bride. He's fun, uh, for the couple of scenes he's in, uh, especially since he has to re-deliver the same dialogue. <laughs> so he's got that kind of fun role. Um, Meliotti apparently was in, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, the Fargo TV series, and, um, oh, she's on the Venture Brothers. Neat. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really know her too well. She's more, she seems to be more of a TV actress that I've seen, um, from her, at least judging by her IMDb, because there's A to Z, uh, wait, A to Z? That doesn't have any, okay, no, it looks like a rom-com. Andrew and Zelda's relationship would last for eight months, three weeks, and five da- five days and one hour. Uh, she's the lead in that across um, across Ben Feldman, and uh, so that only lasted thirteen episodes. Oof! So they wanted to try to get twenty six out of it. Um, at any rate, uh, she she's she's solid. She's a great um, uh, kind of counter. To Sandberg's sort of chaotic, neutral nature, and uh, she's more so. She's um, a she's the um, sister of the bride and the um, and the uh, ma- uh, maid of honor, but she's she's kind of in a rut. Like she's there was a bit, and especially since there's a big twist uh, revealed halfway through the movie, that's really interesting. But um, yeah, basically, Sam Burke has been living the same day over and over again, and then uh, he hooks up with uh, Miliati's character, and uh, he's chased by uh, who's revealed to be a, the, a guy who's revealed to be J.K. Simmons uh, into this cave outside of where they're holding the wedding, which is the source of all the. Um, well, the time loop, so to speak. So uh, she ends up being in the time loop with Sandberg and J.K. Simmons, and it's going through the motions, the same kind of Groundhog Day motions of like, um, you know, what do you do when you're living the same day over and over again? And so they they met, they met, they do crazy things. Uh, she throws them a birthday party at one point. They do a thing where they pre- where they pretend there's a bomb. Uh, trying uh, as uh, she tries to hijack the wedding, um, and uh, that, and so they they begin to develop this relationship at, over the course of this time. But slowly and surely, Miliati's character begins to grow tired of being stuck in a rut and wants to move past this and wants to keep living, keep living her life, not live the relive the same day over and over again. Whereas Sandberg's kind of content with where he's at, he doesn't really feel the need to until Miliati says she wants to move on. And then he's kind of like, he's kind of like stuck. And so um, Sandberg begins to really question like why he is wants to be stuck there. And, and the whole thing kind of centers around their relationship as it develops over the course of this time. And then J.K. Simmons is revealed to be also a guy who's also stuck in the loop uh, by chance. And so and he blames Sandberg for it. And their whole dynamic is really interesting as it plays out over the course of the film. But um, 
the climax, the third act is really interesting, and especially the way it ends. Uh, there's a mid credit sequence that is really cute and a nice touch. Um, but Sandberg uh, being kind of his, him kind of por- uh, you know por- portraying this normal man child kind of character that so many uh, white dudes in comedy are good at uh, seem to be the only thing they're good at. <laughs> but um, he's but he's content with you know just living every day like he he doesn't have to pay rent he doesn't have to do anything else he just has to continually relive this day and he's fine with it because he gets to do whatever he wants and it's only until he wants to be with Miliati that he begins to question you know why am I still living in this day and is it worth it it's really interesting uh and the way they play around with it too, like they mentioned that they've gone, they've left, they've tried so many different ways to break the loop, and every single time, any time they've either died or fallen asleep, they wake back and it's the same day. So the way they get out of it is really interesting and uh, I think kind of clever. I haven't seen it before, at least with this kind of premise. So yeah, Palm Springs. I don't know that I would say to see it in theaters. But for a Hulu original, I'm I don't mind seeing it at the drive-in. That was it was actually kind of fun, despite the fact that uh, we had to listen to it in shared headphones, like we're like we're teenagers on a date. <laughs> Damn it! Um, but uh, it was it was it was a fun experience. I enjoyed it. Um, my dad not so much, just because he he like my mom is a bit more conservative in the set in the sense of they don't like overt sexuality and. To, and displays of sexuality and cursing. That's not really their thing. Uh, so th- that's kind of the one thing that kind of rubbed him the wrong way, but he didn't mind the premise. He could kind of follow along with it because it is essentially Groundhog Day. But uh, yeah, Palm Springs was solid. So yeah, recommend. Check it out, at least on Hulu. I'm here to help you, Mom. I can see you. This one was not so much fun to watch at a drive-thru, um, drive-in theater. You'd think it would be. You'd think horror movies would be perfect for the drive-in setting. This one was not. This one may have actually been better fit for an indoor theater because it's a lot darker. Because this movie is really, really dimly lit. This is like, oh, we're literally just using natural lighting. No artificial lighting unless it's like an actual, you know, uh, cell phone flashlight or wall. You know, the light is in the wall itself. Like, only realistic lighting. And it's just like, wow, that just makes it so much harder to try and watch. You've just made this so much harder for people to watch. Um, but yeah, this is like ha- this has had half a dozen credits because it's made in Australia and it, it's independent, so it relies on so many more people. Apparently, Jake Gyllenhaal and the Russo brothers helped produce this. So interesting. Um, the basic premise here is that in Australia, a Emily Mortimer, who I did not realize was Australian. Is she Australian? She may not be Australian. She may just be putting on an accent. Hold on. Now I'm con- now I'm curious. Emily, I know, because I just saw her in Mary Poppins Returns, where she had an English accent, but is she Australian? 
No, she's British. She's from London. She's just putting on an accent uh, for this movie. Huh. Anyway, um... Uh, she plays the she plays the mom the sort of middle generation in this movie uh, with her daughter uh, played by somebody I didn't recognize probably some uh, Australian actress um, let me see uh, Robin Nevin or is that the grandma that's the grandma Bella Heathcote plays the plays the granddaughter the youngest generation in this movie uh, she is in something called the Neon Demon. She was Jane Bennett in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, honey. She was stuck in Dark Shadows and In Time as well. Oh, buddy. Oh, no. Oh, dearie. Uh, she is Nat Nicole Dimmer in The Man in the High Castle, which I still need to watch. Uh, she was also in... Wait a second. Was she the other woman in... Uh... Holy crap, that's her. Okay, so I have seen her in something. She is the... Um... Third part of the uh, poly relationship in uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, even though I still can't stand that movie for just basically making up things and making up things and calling itself a um, a a true a true story. Any rate, um, so yeah, Emily Mortimer and Bella Heathcote uh, play Kay and Sam, mother and daughter, and um, oh, the the grandma on this, the uh, woman with dementia was the Counselor Dillard in the Matrix sequels. Huh. Interesting connections all all throughout this. Um, at any rate, uh, she, like I mentioned, she has, she has showing signs of dementia after Kay and Sam go to check on her for disappearing. Like, the first... First, all they know, they haven't talked to, talked to her in years. And so the first thing they know is that she's gone missing. So they wait at the house. They've called the police. They're waiting for waiting to find out what happened to her. Meanwhile, the house has kind of gone to rot. There's this mold growing everywhere. And the grandma comes back and is showing clear signs of dementia. But, well, Kay, the mom, is more concerned with getting her somewhere safe. Sam is wanting to, you know, kind of reconnect with her grandma and, you know, take care of her herself. And it's only as the movie continues that they begin to see something, something's not quite right. This, 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 this is, if this is dementia, this is very, she's very violent. But there's also like weird things going on with the house that, that uh, Sam begins noticing and begins to try and explore, which, um, makes her makes her grandma act out and act out violently towards her. Meanwhile, Kay is trying to maintain some level of relationship with her mom still after, you know, once again, seeing her mom kind of lose touch with reality. And it's a very slow burn. Very slow burn. This is very close to the vest. This is like really it's almost like a mumblecore horror movie. <laughs> it's so quiet. And uh, then of course, and then by the and then the climax kind of deals with the revelation of what's really going on with the house and with and with grandma. And I like the premise, the premise of a mother and daughter trying to take care of their grand of the grandma with dementia has very good horror movie potential. In fact, I think um, the visit and that Shyamalan's movie. Once tried, played up with that, but I still haven't seen that one because M. Night Shyamalan has done nothing but squander any goodwill I had towards him. Um, 
But this had an interesting premise, and this is from a new... Both of the uh, movies I saw that were, oddly enough, playing at the same theater for one week only uh, were from new-time directors. This is from Natalie Erica James, who I didn't recognize... This is her first uh, uh, full-length feature. Uh, The only thing I got from her on IMDb that isn't a short... Uh, besides this movie was Upgrade, where she worked with uh, Lee Winnell in some capacity. It just lists her as an attachment to Lee Winnell, and I don't know what that means. I looked it up. I could not find what an attachment meant to in terms of a director. So if somebody knows more about the um, filmmaking process and knows what that means, I would love to know. But... Um, this is her first uh, full-length feature, and it, it's not bad. I don't. I I think my problem was it didn't. It it, it had a great potential, but it completely fell apart in the execution. It's poorly lit. Uh, it, it, the the reliance on strict like natural lighting, either natural lighting in the house being the electricity given or natural lighting as in daylight, that really made it hard to watch. Like I had, I struggled to be able to see what was going on both when I watched it in the drive-in and when I watched it at home. Like I actually, like you literally have to watch this movie in the dark in order to get it, which is a nice gimmick for a horror movie, except Every one of these, like the only actress that really sold it was Robin Nevin as Edna, as Edna, the grandma who with dementia, like the switch from, oh, hi, honey, you know, sweet, lovable grandma to uh, physically assaulting her daughter and granddaughter is like instantaneous. And she's fantastic at it. Like the way she gets so utterly violent at the drop of a hat is it really is a um it's this this it's definitely evocative of people with dementia if, if you or you know if you've had somebody you love suffer through that you see that like my grandmother went through uh about of dementia before before she passed away and there were definitely moments not to this extreme but there were definitely moments like where all of a sudden she's just completely angry and you don't know what what happened why why her brain went from perfectly fine to just irrationally angry and it's yeah that that kind of that you know that experience is ripe for horror and yet I never felt scared by this because I just had too much trouble trying to watch the damn thing. Because, like, it requires a lot of paying attention and focusing on, like, the clues, some of which are poorly shot and out and out of focus. <laughs> and, like, it's interesting to watch what happens happens, but at the same point, like, it really is a bland movie like the actors besides robin nevin are so close to the vest and flat that it's it i don't feel scared for them like more than anything i watch this movie and there's a point in the climax where bella heathcote is calling out her to her mom for help but it's more like you know whereas you um you you normally expect pounding and like you know massive you know 
uh, emotions and energy. Here it's more like, Mom? Mom, are you there? It's like, hey, Mom, Mom, I got groceries in my hand. I'm trying to get in the door. Can you open up, please? It's like, Mom, can you open the door? Hello, Mom. It, it didn't feel like they were scared. It felt like they were mildly inconvenienced. And I feel like, you know, as a first-time director, maybe this director is not great at directing actors and directing, like, emotion. She may be better at directing... Um, but she also co-wrote this, so she may be better at writing than directing. And, like, the cinematography is not great. The, the storytelling, it was fine. But I feel like a better director could make use of the space and the lighting and all of the actual filmmaking uh, production qualities better than this person did. And, you know, I chalked that up to this is a first-time fil feature film. Who knows what happened on the set. That things may have gone well, but then when th when it came back in post production, it didn't look as good, and they just, just and they just needed to get it out. And who knows? I personally speaking, I would prefer a um like this. What this reminded me most of is Ari Aster's Hereditary. Hereditary nailed this um, sort of horror within a family's mental health history. Uh, angle and it's really really taut and and intense and this did not have any of uh hereditary's tension and i feel like um it didn't drive you mad the way that you were witnessing the characters being driven mad and i feel like that's a mis i feel like that's kind of you know her not quite getting the getting the hang of it that you know She's Bambi on the ice, so to speak. And she's just, like, getting her bearings and trying and making it happen. So we'll see if she does more movies, uh, if this does well enough. Uh, I had trouble. It's not really available anywhere. You have to rent it through various services. It may be on DVD. It's just a bit... This is a bit harder to get, your whole, get a hold of than Palm Springs, which is, like, directly available on Hulu. But I honestly can't recommend this. Like... Maybe this is your thing. Go in, but I would try to get it as cheaply as possible. It's seven bucks to rent right now, so I'll try to find it on like Redbox or something, or maybe see if it's on somewhere else, like on on some other country's Netflix or something. I can't recommend you really go out and seek this movie. Maybe even wait till it's like on Sci-Fi or TNT, or maybe they'll add it to Shutter or something. But, now nah, don't rush out to see this. This isn't really worth your time, I don't think. Uh, it, you may enjoy it more than I do, but I can't, I can't personally recommend you go out and see it. So, that's what I saw in theaters uh, this week. But, um, most of what I watched was on streaming. So, let's go over to a little Netflix and chat. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. One of the things I did this week was sign up for Apple TV Plus. 
I'm going to get mainly to watch um, Greyhound, which I still haven't gotten to yet, the new uh, Tom Hanks World War II movie. But the main thing I watched through that was Curiosity Stream had the original, has all of the Walking With um, uh, series on it. Not only just the Walking With Dinosaurs, Prehistoric Beasts, and Monsters, but Chased by Dinosaurs and Walking With Cavemen, that whole franchise for the most part uh the documentary ones are on curiosity stream which i couldn't find when i had when i used curiosity stream through amazon but i was able to find it through apple tv which i blame on amazon's poor uh user interface on roku um that's just me though uh so yeah the walking with trilogy holds up for the most part um, I watched them in order, so I started with Monsters, which is actually the latest one to be released, but the first one in terms of geologic time, which is interesting. Uh, the CG and science are probably are um, are probably outdated. It's also shorter; it's half the length of the other episodes, which means they cram six episodes worth of material into three, and you can feel it. It rushes through the scenarios with lightning speed. And the visuals are solid, like, especially the whole thing with the giant bugs, since this is the era where the arthropods were the first to grow gigantic. And um, watching as, you know, evolution took its course and uh, the first vertebrates evolved into the first fish, evolved into the first amphibians, evolved into the first reptiles, evolved into the first mammal-like reptiles, evolved into mammal-like reptiles, and eventually the dinosaurs. But... Yeah, this was... I wish I had more time with this, was my biggest concern. I wish they would they took more time, like they did with Dinosaurs and Prehistoric Beasts, to explore these eras. Because we're talking... We're rushing through a huge chunk. I think the biggest chunk of geologic time in the least amount of episodes, which I think is unfair. And I don't know why it ended up like that, but... It's kind of disappointing, and I hope that I wish that they could do try it again, but with more time, maybe even eight episodes, to really explore these eras of geologic time. But yeah, the scenarios are solid, but they just don't have enough time to really develop because they're so rushed along in order to happen. But it is what it is, it's still solid. Uh, meanwhile, Walking with Dinosaurs, despite being, despite the CGI and the science being out, de- being tw- um, 20 years out of date, is still the best of the series. The mix of live-action backgrounds with puppets and animatronics, uh, along with CGI, is really well done. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, the whole, for the whole series, is, is a fantastic narrator, um... Each segment, once again, is given its time to develop and play out. The score is phenomenal. Uh, the drama of it all, like, you don't really consider, like, you never really think about it, but when you watch it again, the drama is really there for things like the Cynodons who have to kill their young in order to survive, or the Lyoplerodon who dies beached on a uh, beached on the shoreline, or, or the Arnithochiris who never got laid again, and then eventually ending with the extinction event at the K, you know, the K2 extinction event, and the, and the poor little T-Rex is crying because their mom died from a, uh, infected ankylosaur uh, injury. The stories are just really well-crafted and re- really does hold up uh, story-wise, more so than uh, science-wise or CG-wise, but it's still just a phenomenal uh, miniseries. Um, the sequel was 
for the most part, on the same level. The CG is a bit better because they're also having to animate fur, which is uh, which I learned from uh, behind the scenes of Pixar uh, Monsters Inc. Uh, footage that fur is one of the hardest things to animate in CG because you have to worry about every single hair and 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 so for Sully to be as well animated as he was in 2001 is a miracle and so they've gotten better now but at the once again this is at the time where um, animating fur was still like the pinnacle to do and they've only uh, raised the bar since then um there's also a lot more reliance on modern... Like, the original Walking with Dinosaurs had a lot of um, spliced-in modern-day footage, like references to the Weta or or having the T-Rex babies mess with a snake, and it's clearly a real-world snake, modern-day snake. Um, this one does it even more because during the Australopithecus segment, it's just like, oh, most of the Austral- African animals are already there, so why we're just going to throw in a saber-toothed cat and the Dinotherium and the monkeys and the Australopithecus, and we're done. Like, we don't need to worry. Everything else was already there. Like, there's a whole segment in that one where they're fighting, but they have to scare off vultures. And it's very clearly modern-day vultures. But it's just like, you know, hey, what are you going to do? The things are pretty much the same, so let's cut this corner. That that one really is my least favorite segment. Um, The first segment is kind of interesting. The idea of the fact that they're still uh, facing the ramifications of the K2 event as well as the other geologic disasters that led to the end of the dinosaurs uh after so many uh hundreds of thousands millions of years um the second segment about the whales and uh how they fully developed was interesting because it's like every i feel like every single um one has to have that water episode and this one did it it's two episodes in um but then um uh, what was the third? Oh, the third one is probably the best. That's the one with the Andricothere. Because that one, I think, was the best written. It was the most like watching a Walking with Dinosaurs segment. Then the Australopithecus one feel, felt like it, they were cutting corners. And they just felt like they had to talk about prehistoric man. And it's just like, hey, look, it's our earliest ancestor. And it's just like really bad ape CGI. They they should have, they would have been better off having people in monkeys, in like gorilla suits. Honestly, the CG for the Australopithecus is so bad. But, um, but, uh, the, but then the fifth segment has them doing essentially Lion King, but with saber, with Smilodons in South America, which is kind of neat. Um, and then they end with mammoths because of course, and, it's not. I, it definitely has a lot more hiccups. The Australopithecus segment brings it down a bit, but for the most part, it's a solid sequel to Walking with Dinosaurs. It keeps that same feeling for the most part, even if the writing is not quite as good. Um, and of course, it ends on the ominous note that no dynasty, no species, dynast, no species um, dominance lasts forever. So it's just like, hey, you know, our time is coming. You never know. And in 2020, you kind of hoped it would be over with by now. Anyway, yeah, the Walking With Trilogy is on Curiosity Stream, and if you haven't checked them out in a while, it's still phenomenal. Still fantastic. Still holds up. Now, next up is to watch Primeval, because those are the people who took the CGI for Walking With Dinosaurs and put them in a fictional TV show about time-traveling dinosaurs and monsters and terrorists, I think, if I remember correctly. And it looked like a fun. And it's got one of the, one of the, um, 
members of S Club 7 in it. <laughs> and she's actually pretty good. But, yeah. Um, then, of course, as most of you may know or may not know, Joanna Cole, I believe her name was, uh, the co-creator of uh, Magic School Bus, passed away at 79. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if she did anything else. She's best known for Magic School Bus, and she did the she wrote the stories for it uh, more so than the drawings, which were done by um, Bruce Deegan. Um, but yeah, Joanna Cole recently passed away, uh, and yeah, and so that's a major loss to our uh to most of the 90 millennials childhoods were were uh brought to us by joanna cole not not just with the magic uh, mostly with the magic school bus but you know with so many other i'm sure she did so many other um uh kids like science books and whatnot uh that we don't even know about she wrote a uh, one book called cockroaches uh and, and once again, it's just like she's a children's science writer and she helped bring about the Magic School Bus, which changed so many kids' childhoods for sure. Especially since some of the science still holds up in that ser- in the series, which I'm going to talk about. Um, but she died of, uh, oh, 75, not 79. Um, idiopathic, pul- no, uh, she got, di- yeah, she died at 75 with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which is a lung disease. And, um, it's really, and it really stinks, uh, cause she was writing books up until the day she died. Uh, you know, so she could have been writing books for even longer if she didn't have this condition. But, um, she also wrote for, uh, Ready, Set, Dogs and The Adventures of Allie and Amy. If you're a parent or, uh, know somebody or like a librarian and you're familiar with those series. So thank you, Joanna Cole, for making all of our childhoods, um, so yeah, uh, I rewatched the original Magic School Bus on Netflix, and the science is definitely a bit out of date because it was the '90s. But for the most part, like the basic stuff still holds up. Uh, Lily Tomlin, uh, for one thing, is fantastic as Miss Frizzle. Um, but like the, the first episode is about the planets, and it ends on Pluto. So it's just yeah, like the science is definitely that for twenty twenty five years almost. It's it's been out of date. <laughs> um, and of course, Arnold died on Pluto. That I'm gonna call that canon. Arnold is dead on Pluto. But apparently, they do. There is suggestion that uh, Arnold could have survived. It just wouldn't have looked like he turned into an ice pop. <laughs> but um, and he and he wouldn't have had a cold when he came back because you get those from viruses, not the cold. But you know, kid shows. Um, it's also interesting that they end each segment at, with kids quote-unquote kids calling in to the producers uh, who eventually were narrowed down to just uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner, who is best known from the Cosby show as Theo Huxtable, as the producer of Magic Cool Bus. I don't know why they narrowed it down to just him because there was a female producer too. And for some reason, they cut her out after the first season. I don't know if like Malcolm Jamal and Warner just wanted it to be just him or maybe the, she didn't do. Maybe they didn't have anything for her, the female producer. I don't know. I don't know behind-the-scenes stuff with that. But, um, but yeah, it's really interesting that, uh, like the first episode in, we're introduced to it 
by Arnold's teasing these fantastical field trips, and when they're hinting that it's just going to be a trip to the planetarium, uh, his cousin Janet gets so mouthy about how Miss Frizzle's not as good as her teacher that Arnold just looks at her like, nobody is better than Miss Frizzle. Like, he does, he, he hates these fancy, fantasy field trips, you know, these magical field trips, but he will not take you slandering the name of Frizzle in this house! Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, I love that. I love that that's the first episode. Also, I love the fact that the cast is so diverse. Both the actors and the uh, characters. Like, the cast is played by, you know, the characters are played by um, appropriate... Uh, um, uh, race casting, like, at a time in the 90s where they could have just easily got, like, three people to, to voice all eight kids, they got, um, actually they got some fairly, uh, interesting names. Erica Luttrell, who is currently, a, who is still a voice actress now, is played Keisha on the Magic School, on the, on, throughout the run of the Magic School bus. She is best known now as um she's on uh Captain Underpants. Uh she's also what else was she in? She was in Westworld, uh I Zombie, um Fantasy she played Ms. Folia in the Fantasy Final Fantasy VII remake. She was um in Last of Us Part Two. She's in Hatchimals. Um she was she she voices Sapphire on um Steven Universe. And she was uh, a couple of voices in The Lion Guard. Uh, she was in the Voltron reboot. So she's been she's been a an ongoing voice actress since the '90s. And she plays Keisha. You've got Dan notably uh, Danny Tamborelli from All That went on to voice Arnold after the second season. And then you've got um, I'm not familiar. My Maya Filar who I don't really recognize. Uh, apparently was in Goosebumps as well. Um, hasn't been... Ha doesn't have a credit since 2000. She may have left the business, or she may have gone behind the scenes, but um, she plays Phoebe, uh, who I have thoughts on regarding the sequel series. But, um, uh, yeah, the entire cast, Lisa Jai as Wanda Lee, Tara Meyer as Dorothy Ann, uh, Daniel DeSanto as Carlos is iconic. Um, Daniel DeSanto, who was also uh, in freaking Beyblade, but also in Boondock Saints 2, Mean Girls, um, Wholesome Foods, I Love You, Is That Okay? Which I never heard of. Paw Patrol, he's Daring Danny X. Um, Combat Hospital, not familiar with. Totally Spies, he was on a bunch of episodes. Da Boom Crew, oh buddy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he is in, he is Brock. Uh, in Braceface, for those who remember that, Phantom of the Megaplex. He was he played a character named Zeke. <laughs> um, so I mean, yeah, these kids uh, at the time were probably like new, fresh faces, just starting out, and then um, and then they some of them went on and were got really steady gigs out of it. Um, is this actually Taylor? Who I think it is? Uh, no. Okay, she's somebody. I'm thinking of a different Ashley. Uh, the, I'm thinking of the one who plays um, what's her name in Last of Us. Um, but yeah, you know they got, um, of course, celebrity guest stars throughout it. Uh, Paul Winfield played their principal. Tyne Daly as Ralphie's mom. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know Rosalind Chow um, as well. I, th- I know she was in uh, Joy Luck Club, and apparently she's going to be in Mulan, the Mulan remake. Um, she plays Wanda's mom, uh, who's a science writer, pops up a couple of times. Um, it is canon that, that uh, and I talked about this on Facebook, it is canon that Dolly Parton is, is related to Miss Frizzle. Not Dolly Parton herself, but she plays a member of the Frizzle clan. As it were, uh, Ed Begley Jr. shows up. Robbie Benson is Phoebe's old teacher. Carol Channing is in there. Dom DeLuise was a baker. Tony Randall was a mechanic. Cindy Williams was the um, uh, trashy TV host. Uh, Cindy Williams being, um, is it Laverne or Shirley? She was on Laverne and Shirley. I just can't remember if she's Laverne or Shirley. Um, uh, she is Shirley. Okay, she's Shirley of Laverne and Shirley, also featured in American Graffiti um, and The Odd Couple. I know, that's The Odd Couple TV series. She popped in for an episode. Um, But yeah, uh, she plays uh, Jerry Paveri, the host of In Your Face. Oh, God. The the, the parodies are so wonderful. Uh, Matt Frewer, who is best known for uh, being Max Headroom, is was a French, uh, what, what, what I think he was going for French, but had like a bit of Spanish in it too. Inspector 47 for uh, um, when they go to the rainforest. Edward Asner is a is a fictional um, general fighting a giant bug in a 50s B movie. Jessica Walter from uh, best known for being. The mom in Arrested Development, Lucille Bluth, as well as Mallory Archer on Archer, and who was also um, apparently Granny Goodness on Harley Quinn, and um, the mom in uh, Dinosaurs, uh, uh, Jim Henson's Dinosaurs from the 90s. Uh, Apparently she's just been in a whole bunch of stuff. I just saw that she was in a Land Before Time uh, TV series as the old one. Wait, she was, was she wasn't the original old one, was she from? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm not seeing that. Um, apparently, she was on Trapper John MD though, so she she has uh, um, credits going back a long ways. But she plays the daughter of the founder of their town. Uh, in one episode, Eartha Kitt plays Keisha's grandma. Uh, Elliot Gould is Arnold's dad. <laughs> um, was the other one? Um, oh God, who was the other one? Uh, oh, there's Dan Marino who plays this uh, muscular gym teacher who always rips his shirt, uh, but is like really sweet and cares about um, fair sportsmanship. He's re- it's a really fun episode. Um, uh, Edward James Olmos plays uh, Carlos's dad, and his whole job that whole episode. Edward James Olmos, you may remember from Battlestar Galactica, Stand and Deliver. Um, Selena and Blade Runner. He's been in a whole bunch of stuff. He's an iconic uh, uh, actor. Uh, he was also Robert Gonzalez on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was in Dexter. He's been in a whole bunch of stuff. But um, he plays Carlos's dad, and his whole uh, job during that episode is to deliver puns. <laughs> oh, that must have been fantastic for him. Um... Then, of course, Alex Trebek shows up for an episode. Uh, Sherman Hemsley is a guest star. Rita Moreno. Michael York runs a uh, reptile habitat, uh, like, a spa retreat. 
that Tom Cruise is listed as being on there, but I never saw, I didn't see, I'd never heard him uh, in that episode, in the episode they're talking about. Winona Judd plays a rock star centered on molecules in the fourth season. Uh, Bebe Newworth is, shows up. Malcolm McDowell shows up in the final episode. It really is a whole collection of great guest stars. Um interspersed with the normal uh, shenanigans of the of the Walkerville school, uh, uh, elementary class of Miss Frizzle. But, um, yeah, it really is interesting uh, on a rewatch to, like, just Carlos's puns are perfect dad humor, and it's the best. It is... <laughs> Carlos has it has been an inspiration to so many people without, even re- without them even realizing it. But it's interesting to watch because, like, Keisha doesn't understand where tuna fish comes from. Like, what's in a tuna fish? What's in a tuna fish sandwich? Oh, right, tuna fish. Okay, Keisha, what grade are you in? <laughs> um, apparently, Wanda hires a Ed Begley Jr. as a log remover. Um, Phoebe, it there's really interesting stuff that comes up comes across when you rewatch it. I would love to do a full on video retrospective on how well the science holds up on Magic School Bus. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, there's a straight-up Star Trek episode, <laughs> uh, because why not? Um, they do a Lake Monster hoax, that's the one with Jerry Paveri. Uh, there's an inter- like, it's really interesting to see that Phoebe, when confronted by, um, Miss Frizzle meeting her old teacher, is embarrassed, because it's like, at my old, because you, through, up until that point, you had always heard her say, at my old school, at my old school, at my old school. You could do a drinking game with all the, all the, because epi- every episode, there's always something. There's either, at my old school, uh, t- take chances, uh, make mistakes, get messy. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Um, come on, you Weasley wimps. I should have stayed home today. <laughs> you know, there, you could do a, a drinking game of all the catchphrases that everybody says in each episode. But, um... When confronted with her old teacher meeting her current teacher, she was embarrassed because she figured that Miss Frizzle's magical field trips would make them seem like freaks. And it, but and it, people had and her classmates had to convince her, like, look how amazing Miss Frizzle is. Like, why would you be embarrassed by this? And she's like, Yeah, why would I be embarrassed by this? And then it turns out Robbie Benson has a crush on her. <laughs> uh, that's fun. That was a fun episode. Um, you also learned about plant reproduction uh, with flowers, so you got to see flower sex. Got <laughs> um, to see a lot of sex in the show, and come to think of it, just not like actual human sex. It's fish sex and uh, references to chicken sex. But you know, it's science. What do you, you know? It is what it is. Um, the Dolly Parton episode I mentioned is a holiday special about recycling in which Wanda wants to see the Nutcracker, and so she's going to give up an old plastic Nutcracker. Uh, Arnold inadvertently gets it recycled by uh, Miss Frizzle's uh, first cousin, played by Dolly Parton, and in retal- and in, re- in losing her uh, Nutcracker wishes, all of recycling was undone, and it turns out the all the trees in Walkerville are cut down, and the school is turned into a landfill because there's too much trash, and Wanda has to realize, oh wait, it's not about me. I've got thoughts on Wanda. I have many thoughts about Wanda, but um. It's really, and of course, it's a musical episode, so it, everybody's singing like versions of holiday songs about um, recycling, <laughs> and then it ends with Dolly Parton to singing a whole song dedicated to recycling. It's a fun episode; really recommend it. Um, 
there's yeah once again it's like three seasons before the principals uh is introduced and it's played by Walt and he's played by Paul Winfeld which is neat um the the fact that there's some continuity between these seasons and kids will re- remember previous um, field trips is a nice touch. The fa- the interesting thing is that in season four, uh, one of the ongoing snacks uh, from the show, the fictional snack, Seaweedies, is revealed to just be carrots shaped into fish and then wrapped in seaweed. That is one of the healthiest fat like snack foods I have ever heard of. What, how, who comes up with that? How does that work? And how is that like the snack of choice? And it works out because um, it's all about an episode. It's the episode where Arnold turns orange because he ate too many carrots. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's really interesting. And then, of course, the finale is all about computers and computer programming and the computer hardware. And it's really interesting to see them finally touch on some more modern tech before it ends. Um, but yeah, like I mentioned, the uh, cast is diverse. You've got, um, you know, you know, people. Um, uh, yeah, kids who are white, black. Uh, Carlos is uh, Latino um, or Hispanic, at least. Uh, I think they say it, they they um, confirm he's Mexican American, um, and, and uh, Keisha's being raised by her grandma. Phoebe Phoebe's mom is not seen, and her dad is blind. Uh, Carlos's brother is paraplegic and he's bound to a wheelchair, but it's never really brought up in the episodes he's in because it's more he's it's more about how he's like an engineering uh, whiz kid, and it's really fun. I really like how they handled so much of the so many of these aspects about these kids and how they're really interesting. Like Phoebe is always the animal lover and soft spoken. Uh, she's like the anti Elmira in that she loves animals, but is also like really shy and reserved. Whereas Elmira is just ob- obnoxious and in your face. Um, Dorothy Ann is always, according to my research, the nerd girl. Uh, Ralphie is like the class clown. Ralphie and Carlos kind of divvy up class clown, whereas Ralphie is a bit more athletic. Carlos is definitely more of the punster. He's always cracking jokes, so he would probably be more of the class clown. Arnold is the nebbish, like, oh man, I hate these field trips. But then he always comes up, comes out having fun and learning something from it anyway. He's just like, he just doesn't like going into it, getting it started. <laughs> um, Keisha's the consummate skeptic. She's all anytime they the, the kids bring up something supernatural, Keisha's always like, no way, nah, don't. I don't buy that. <laughs> um, like the episode where they buy Dorothy Anna star. Um, she literally says, I'm not spent. My grandma bought something from one of these numbers before. I need to see this star for myself before I divvy up $1 for it. Also this like, this like hotline to buy stars cost only $7. I get it's for kids, but like $7, like wouldn't they like, wouldn't it make more sense if they like, everybody had to divvy up like 10 bucks and it was like $70 or something. I don't know. It, the weird things like that pop up throughout the, that sort of weird, like kids, um, logic pops up throughout the entire series, but yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, but yeah, uh, Keisha's great. Um, uh, who am I forgetting? Dorothy and Keisha, Wanda, Phoebe, um, Ralphie, Carlos, Arnold. Uh, oh, and Tim. Tim. Uh, Tim is so reserved and like, um, 
like soft spoken that you forget about him. He's super smart, but he's very artistic. And uh, my favorite character, honestly, I think probably my first fictional crush as a kid was Wanda. I adored Wanda uh, growing up just because I loved how, you know, forward she was and she just didn't you know didn't did not give a damn about what 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 was going on so much in the sense that like you know when things need doing she takes action she does not you know she is a you know do first think about it later sort of person and then as the series goes along you begin to see aspects of her personality developed like she is um a bit egotistical like the in one of the fourth season episodes she has to do a report she has to do a, a team thing with dorothy ann and wanda just goes out of her way and does something all by herself because she she doesn't think to partner up with people she's not concerned about that um She's, you know, she's often kind of the one to really stay, you know, once again, during the holiday episode, she's, she's kind of, um, selfish, but she's more, and she's that kid level of selfish where she's like, it's hard for her to think outside of herself. And it's only until after, after a while that she begins to realize how much her own selfishness has cost, um, has hurt people and then she begins to realize and especially after Arnold gives her a gift that he was intending for his mom that she begins to think oh man I was a jerk and uh, she uh, she turned it into a necklace that we only see the one episode sadly but I guess she saves it for um, uh, um, formal occasions or something I don't know maybe she just keeps it on her desk I don't know but it was a nice touch uh, and she gives Arnold uh, his own gift uh, as he as they and they forego seeing the Nutcracker to uh, escort Arnold onto on the way to his uh gra- see his grandma because she's sick, and it's really sweet. It's a really sweet. That's a really sweet episode. But yeah, I love seeing Wanda's character progress. Even you know little progressions. We're not talking about like Steven Universe um Avatar levels of character progression or anything, but just like these little personality touches, because that's more than we get in the sequel series. So, it's a school bus rides again. I finally watched it, and. Man, is it kind of underwhelming after you've binged the first uh, series. So I'll say this much. Here's what's good. The Kate McKinnon taking over uh, for uh, Lily Tomlin. Good choice. L- Kate McKinnon uh, not kind of can be hit or miss sometimes, uh, whereas Lily Tomlin was like on it all the time. But Kate McKinnon is a fair approximation for 90s Lily Tomlin. But, um, uh, but, um, to go on, uh, Janet, Arnold's cousin Janet, is given more, uh, character depth and dimension. They develop her character more, which I like. Um, they have some interesting stuff, like the fact that the bus loses power at one point, and so they could lose the magic school bus forever. That's in the season two finale. There are two seasons so far of this, but, um... But yeah, this uh, the new character Jody, who is a an Indian girl. Um, Jody is really is a really interesting new addition. She's not perfectly handled, but she's a nice new addition to the class. Here's my problem: the show looks cheap, and it looks like they're trying to sell dolls. You know what the show designs remind me of? When Dora got the redesign to sell dolls to teenage girls. Remember that whole line? What was it? Dora's... What was, what was that whole line called? 
God, what was it called? Uh, what was it? Because um, there's the normal door of the Explorer uh, line, and then there's this uh, Dora and Friends line, where she seems to be much older, and she's very, very patently pushing um, like materialistic stuff to teenage girls. Let me see more about this line. It's very clearly trying to na uh, nab the uh, brats and um, like Equestria Girls Market, that Monster High, that whole m marketplace. Th the um, the Magic School Bus Rides Again designs look like they were traced over. Dora and Friends designs. It doesn't look like Magic School Bus. The body types are like all the same now, and all the all the characters have been lightened. Tim went from looking like the son of Jordy LaForge to looking like freaking um, Corbin Blue from High School Musical. Like, do you look it up? Look up Tim. In the Magic School Bus Rides Again, look up Corbin Blue from High School Musical. Tell me that's not the same design. Tell me they, that that's not a total ripoff. But him and Keisha went from being these nice, simple design characters, but they were darker skinned too, to being now lighter skinned. I think they hinted at Keisha's mom and dad being in the picture now. But they're a mixed-race couple, a, a black mom and a white dad, I think? I don't know. It wasn't confirmed. But that, okay, I'll take that. But why are she and Tim lightened? Like, not to get too deep, not as a white person to get too deep into colorism, which is a strictly black cultural phenomenon. But I'll say this much. Why, why were the two darker-skinned characters made lighter when they were the main characters, but the darker-skinned principal, who's a black guy, uh, was was made, was made left just as he was? Wh wh why? And, of course, the fact that Keisha now went from being the sort of skeptical, logical-minded kid, smart, you know, really smart, questions everything, to being a fashionista who also wants to be in space. Selfie! Oh, I hate that. No, I don't like it. I do not like it. Um, Wanda went from being my favorite character in the show to being Phoebe. They removed Phoebe, why I don't know, and replaced her with Jody. I understand diversifying the cast a bit more, adding a, um, you know, an, an Indian character is fine. I would not, I am not against Jody. Jody kind of grew on me over the series, but... Jody did not need to be need to replace Phoebe. If anything, you could have Jody with Phoebe, commiserating over being the new kids, having her help Phoebe, you know, step more and more out of her shell. Phoebe is essentially Fluttershy, and Jody could kind of help her along with that regard. But no, they gave all of Phoebe's qualities to Wanda and, and took away all of Wanda's qualities that I actually liked. I don't know why this happened. Why did this happen? Who 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 thought this was fine? Who thought this was good? Um, Tim is still an artist. He draws a whole comic book in an episode, which is something he did in the original series. So they didn't change him too much. Dorothy Ann now has a PDA, not a PDA, um, a tablet, like an iPad, um, instead of her books, which makes sense. Um, 
Arnold is essentially the same. Ralphie's kind of the same. Uh, Carlos finally becomes more of the same after the first episode because the first episode he's like unrecognizable because there were like no puns. And then finally they start giving him puns and it's like, okay, there's Carlos. There's the Carlos I know and love. They even bring back Mikey, his his brother, for an episode which is in, uh, about um, simple machines where they raise up a um, noodle mountain uh, display that Ralphie's dad made for his restaurant. Ralphie's dad owns a re- an Italian restaurant and they had a noodle display look like the Wild West and it was really cool. Um, no Dr. Tonelli though. She hasn't returned yet. Uh, I don't know that you want to replace Tyne Daly. Maybe she's... I don't. Is Tyne Daly still alive? I do not know. Let me see. Tyne Daly. She was in Spider-Man Homecoming, so she must still be around. Wait, who's she in Spider-Man Homecoming? Anne-Marie Hogue. Huh. She was in the Murphy Brown remake, too. Neat. Um, So, yeah, maybe she could still uh, do stuff. But, um, at any rate, yeah, it's just like... Yeah, so Ralphie... Carlos, Arnold, Dorothy Ann, they're all, and Tim are still pretty much the same. They lightened Tim and Keisha for some reason, skin-wise. They made Tim look like freaking Corbin Blue from school, from High School Musical for some godforsaken reason. I don't know why. They removed Phoebe and replaced her with Jody. Jody is fine, but you do not need to replace Phoebe to add Jody. You could have a nine-person class. There's no reason to... I have so many questions. I have so many questions. This, this series raises so many questions, and I don't. And I have no answers for any of them. The kids are a lot more generic, whereas the originally their designs were a bit more unique. They stood out a bit more. Here, they all look like they're trying to sell you a doll. So they all look the exact same with minor tweaks. Oh, Wanda is the black, you know, is the is the kind of paler black-haired doll, and Keisha's the darker-skinned, uh, poofy, afro-haired doll, and, and Jyoti's the darker-skinned, long, long black-haired doll, and Dorothy Ann has the, is, is the lighter skin with the blonde ponytail doll. It literally screams, we're trying to sell teenage girls a doll line, and I hate that. I hate that the original design, like Ralphie, had a big had, had a had kind of a pot belly to him, and Tim and Tim kind of looked like uh, Baby Jordy the Forge a bit in the head. Um, Keisha had like long sweaters down to her down to her uh, um, down to her thighs, and you know the, the, the like I liked the designs of the original kids. They looked like gen- they looked like kids. They looked like regular kids, interesting looking kids. Here they all look like, "Hi. Don't ask me what I think. I'm j- you know, I'm just a corporate marketing tool. Buy, consume, consume." Anyway, yeah, I D- Jody is kind of the most interesting new addition just because they turn her into a, te- a magical techie who can cr- who created an artificial life form. That's her sidekick, and her gram. She lives essentially by herself. They don't mention her parents, um, but her grandma lives in the UK. Um, she is kind of the most interesting. She has given the most character depth of all the ca- of all the kids. More uh, her and Arnold. Arnold is sabotages their first field trip coming back with uh, Kate McKinnon's Fiona Frizzle because he wants the old Frizzle back. Uh, even though Lily, poor Lily Tomlin sounds like she's so tired. 
Lily Tomlin sounds like James Earl Jones in the Lion King remake. Just, why, why am I here? Please let me go home. I'm done. I, I was done with this 20 years ago. Please stop it. Um, but she sounds a bit, okay, she sounds a bit better than that, but it's still that same thing. It's, you could tell there's been a, a it, it makes it feel like no time has passed, but it's time has passed. But um, replacing the producer segments with the Professor Frizzle segments, that's an interesting new change. Um, they gave um, Mr. Rule a secretary and did not develop her in the slightest, despite the fact that she's in the opening. Uh, she is the new um, baked into a pie. That's the other thing. That's the other thing that bugs me. The original opening was like this wholly animated thing, didn't feature any clips from the show. It was its own, th- it was its own thing. Here they they cut corners and make it like clips from the show to pad out the thing. So it's not this interesting, unique, like flashly, well animated opening. Because apparently nobody gives a damn about openings, TV show openings in 2020, in uh, 2018 when this first or 2017 when this first came out. Oh, uh, God. But anyway, um, I, I I liked the the girls were a bit more tomboyish in their design because it showed that they were elementary school kids and they you know they didn't re- like Phoebe was the only one who had like a dress but it was more like overalls and then they would get into formal wear so t- sometimes but it would be different for each kid and it was like they had interesting character designs and here aside from the fact that they're they share that some of them share the same personalities as the original I can't tell these damn kids apart. The voice actors for these kids all sound the goddamn same. I'm sorry. They're not bad kids. They do the same thing as the first series where each kid is played by a corresponding, um, their corresponding, uh, race. So as not, so, so that it, you know, that there's not that condition of like, um, like what we're, what we've been seeing with like, uh, Alison Brie having, playing a Vietnamese woman and Bojack Horseman and Kristen Chenoweth, I think it was Kristen Chenoweth playing a, uh, a mixed black, uh, girl, a black girl with mixed parents in, um, um, in Lauren Burchard's, uh, Central Park on, on Apple, which I also mean to check out with Apple Plus, with that Apple TV thing. Um, so, I mean, they're, they've, you know, that's a nice touch, the same thing that the original series had, but these kids don't sound good at all. They all sound the damn same why do they all sound the damn same they couldn't they could barely eat it's like they're all in the same pitch range too whereas carlos was way up here ralphie was down here tim was down here tim was down here arnold was up here and you know there was like vocal ranges between the kids now all the kids sound like this none of them sound any different than the other buy our toys buy our toys God, it reeks so much of corporate marketing. It reeks so much of, like, a corporate tie-in show, and I hate it. But, um, yeah, so, like, the character, like, and, of course, I could ding the Flash design and the Flash animation, but My Little Pony was animated in Flash. You watch that season four finale and tell me that, and I, and tell me you didn't, you weren't amazed by that animation, then you're lying because that was amazingly done animation in Flash or whatever you know. I think it's called uh, Animator now or whatever, but it's a you know computer animation tool, vector based tool, I believe, and you can do Flash based animation really good. In fact, you can see really good Flash based animation on YouTube, and it's better 
than this professionally produced re re sequel series to the Magic School Bus, and it drives me insane. So yeah, there's some good aspects to it, but I cannot recommend anybody watch this. Like, like it, it, it comes right down to the opening. You've replaced Little Richard, who has this amazing, powerful, energetic voice, with Lin Manuel Miranda, who's kind of like skibidi beep bop boobidi boo. There's a thing, and why and why people in the suburbs love Hamilton. So here he is. Ta da! That's what I get from the opening this time around. Like, hey, white people from the suburbs like like hip hop when it's done by a safe <laughs> safe person to do it, and it's not in your face. <laughs> uh, eh, no offense to fans of Hamilton. I mean, it just. Lin-Man, I don't think Lin-Manuel is as good as people make him out to be. I think he's very, I mean, most of the best parts of Hamilton were it was stuff he ripped off from um, actual hip-hop artists, but anyway. <laughs> oh, shots fired. Oh, boy. But yeah, like, his version of the, his version of the theme is nowhere near as energetic, nowhere near as impassioned. It's more like, hey, I get to do the Magic School Bus theme. Isn't that cool? Okay, see you guys. That would be interesting. Like Lin, if Lin Manuel showed up in the series, that would be more than what little than what they did with uh, Little Richard in the uh, original show. <laughs> Bring in poor Little Richard, man. You did the, he did the theme for you. Why not have him guest in an episode or something? Why wasn't he the guest in the um, in the sound episode? Why, uh, you know, Carol Channing's great, but like perfect chance to bring in Little Richard, guys. Anyway. Yeah, it's uh, there are some stories that actually that they've that they've touched on that pushed further than the original show, but once again, the Flash animation is nowhere near like it's at some point it can look better. It looks cleaner than the old cell style animation, but man, just like the voice acting isn't as good. The 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 characterizations aren't as good. The character designs are are a major step back. And, like, and then, of course, it tries to be as weird as the original series by introducing a little mini-man who's basically Mr. Mixoplictic, uh from Superman, uh, only he gives the kids the power to see math. He's a little miniature man who gives the kids the power to see math. At no point is he ever brought up again. Like, there was no reason he needed to exist. He could just have easily been a thing from the bus that gives them the ability to see math. They get goggles all the damn time. Why are you introducing, like, little mini Mixoplixic Pixie Man who gives you the power to see math? I don't understand. Also, this, this version does have a uh, musical episode. Instead of about recycling, it's about poop. It is entirely devoted to poop. And it features Nathan Fillion. Granted, Nathan Fillion is not a bad choice for a guest star, especially for a musical episode. He does well. But he is n he is wasted compared to Dolly Parton in the re recycling episode. Dolly Parton was in every damn scene of that recycling episode for the most part. Nathan Fillion just pops in for two. And you've wasted your Nathan Fillion for this. There's like one scene where he like really sells him being there. It's okay. It's only my life's work. I've got a whole other half of that left half my life's work i could i have a whole other half of my life to go so i mean like there's some bits where he's great and then they have to sing songs about poop and it's terrible 
And they try to do covers of actual... Like, they do one about... Uh, they do... Um, uh, oh, what was the... It was an Oklahoma song. Um, it was it was a sir with the fringe on top, or was it Oklahoma where the wind comes streaming down the plains? Wait. What was it from Oklahoma? Um, oh, no. It was Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, but it was about orchids. It was, oh, what a beautiful orchid. And the kids aren't nearly as good as singers. But they weren't in the original series either, so I'm not going to ding them for that. But it's like, Kate McKinnon isn't nearly as good as Lily Tomlin, I don't think. Well, no, Lily Tomlin wasn't that amazing of a singer either. She was best at the voice acting. So, I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I have nothing else. The songs were not nearly as good as that recycling episode. And I, I hate to be like, you damned kids and your newfangled magic school bus. It's not as good as the old ones. Old man Bailey's yelling at us from his lawn and shaking his walking stick. Sorry. It just, I really, I really, I wanted to be into it. I really wanted to be into it. And I just couldn't. I had, there were too many issues I took with it just being a fan of that original run. And hopefully, maybe there was supposed to be a TV special for Netflix coming this August. And I'll check that out. Hopefully they improve on things a bit. But, man, I am not a fan of this new series. And I just, I, I've, the one thing, the one thing I will give this series is if they replace, not replace, if Phoebe returns... They give Wanda's, they give her, Phoebe back her original characterization. Wanda gets her old characterization. I'll deal with, I can deal with that. Then have the nine class make, nine, nine member class makeup. I can deal with that at least. Cause then at least it won't, then Phoebe will get some semblance of justice. Cause there was no reason to get rid of her. You could have introduced Jody and kept Phoebe. You didn't have to replace Phoebe to introduce Jody. That makes no sense. Please stop. Please, I'd hate it. Ah, God. The decisions they make just still boggle my mind as to why they did it. I don't like it. Anyway. So, yeah. If you want to support uh, the Magic School Bus, watch the original four seasons. Those are the better ones. The Netflix reboot is... It has its moments. It's it's fine. It's just it's just not very good. I just I take too much issue with some of the more corporate driven mindsets behind it. The character design and the personality types and the just everything about it. The cheapness of it. It feels so cheap. It feels like they're barely even trying it. I I I know very little about animation. I don't know their process. I swear to God, it's that flash puppet rigging. That you see the really cheap uh, Flash animators do. Um, it's like the ones that GoAnimate kind of uses. It's like one step above GoAnimate. I swear to God. But, yeah, it's real. I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm more with Harry Partridge uh, in terms of animation. Like, animation could do amazing things. And it's like, no, let's just do it really cheaply and just have quick shots of the characters not blinking and and i mean the original series did that too i'm not gonna you know lie because it was made for public television but i don't know man i feel like if nothing else the writing if they have no no excuse to not make better animation considering this is the same um network that produced uh uh what was it um not bojack horseman but like green eggs and ham if they could do green eggs and ham there's no reason that Magic School Bus should look this bad. There should be... Like, just, just try a little harder. Try a little harder. 
That's all I'm asking. It feels like they weren't, but they're barely even trying. It's like, why even bother with this new one if they're not going to give it? If they were not going to give a damn, why should I? Sorry, that's old man. This has been old man Bailey yells at his yells from his porch at the new at them damn kids. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, come back and talk about another old fangled thing: drive-ins. Hey, do you like Pokemon? Yeah. Do you like Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. Well, what if I told you you could have them both together? That sounds uh, a copyright infringement. Don't mention that. I mean, um, yeah. Then check out Dungeons and Dragon Types, the D&D 5th edition actual play podcast, where the players are Pokemon trainers and all the battles are between Pokemon. There will be evil organizations to fight, Pokemon gyms, contests, all in a whole new fan-made region. Don't miss out on the fun. Listen to Dungeons and Dragon Types, available only on Gumby Cat Networks. discussion i initially wanted to make it a half and half discussion between the drive-in experience in 2020 and talk about um nbc universal's peacock streaming service but i didn't get a chance to try peacock out because just like with hbo with hbo max i can't watch it on roku they're fighting with roku's fighting with everybody uh apparently so fun at any rate um yeah, the driving experience in 2020 is interesting. For the most part, you're only going to see it in certain areas. Uh, I'm lucky because I'm in a fairly... There's enough uh, rural space around Akron that there's a good number of drive throughs nearby. There's even one further up near Cleveland that's actually really nice from what I've heard. But um, the big issue with drive-ins is that it's $20 per car. That sounds like... Now, that may sound like a lot... Remember this, for two persons, that's basically equivalent to seeing a um, a late night movie at the theaters. You know, non-matinee, full price showing. Um, for one person, that's double the price of admission at a regular movie theater. The best pers- people for drive-ins are families and big groups. Because then you can pile in like 10 people to a car and you all watch the movie together. Bring in your own food, go to the concessions if you want. You save a ton of money by bringing in more people per car. Because some of them will have a per person. Some of them may have, but most of the ones I saw have a per car entry fee. And it really was something like the the one I went to, I think maybe on the lower end, just because it felt like it, a bunch of the radios didn't work, but some of them did. So I can't tell if they mean to, um, if they want to keep the radios or not, but I I may not be getting a lot of money from what I can tell, because it doesn't look as, as well maintained as, uh, some of the other theaters, but then everybody's been hit hard by this, by what's been going on the last couple of years, so I don't necessarily blame them. But, uh, 
For the drive-ins, if you do have a drive-in near you, you'll probably notice that they're mostly showing the classics. Like, let me pull up the local drive-ins near me, see what they're playing. Um, the one I went to um, is currently... It has two screens, and it is currently playing Beauty and the Beast, Bohemian Rhapsody, Iron Man, and A Star is Born. Four solid, crowd-pleasing movies. Perfect uh, one is more for families, one is more for adults, but you can, you can, you know, it's, it's an, it's a good experience, um, for like bigger groups for them to go to. Um, let me go to the other one. Um, oh God, what was it? Uh, let me see what the other one was. Here it is. Blue Sky. That was the other local one. Um, they are playing Gremlins and the Goonies. Which is interesting because that's that's what uh, the other drive-in theater was playing the night I went to, with my dad on Thursday. So they are playing uh, Gremlins and, once again, crowd-pleasing classic movies. So once again, stuff you can take your older kids to, not little kids, but like your older kids will enjoy the Goonies and Gremlins. Um, let me go to the one that's up in Cleveland, see what they're playing. Twin Drive-In Theater. So it sounds like there are two screen uh, as well. Uh, ba -ba -ba. Currently showing Gremlins again, Beetlejuice, Poltergeist, and The Shining. Interesting setup, but once again, we're dealing with classics here. Uh, next up, they've got, um, they're going to switch, uh, they're going to keep Gremlins and Beetlejuice, but switch uh, the second screen to The Hangover and Bridesmaids. Good pairing. Actually, that's a nice double feature. But yeah, it's it is um, it's mostly classics that they're reshowing. In fact, in the theaters I've been that have been reopening the indoor theaters, those are uh, mainly showing classics. Like for the first time in thirty years, Jurassic Park is number one at the box office because they're reshowing it. So yeah, it's. It's, they're, most of the theaters that are open at this time are relying on the classics to bring people back and keep them coming out. But here's the but here's what I'll give drive-ins. That in the time of social distancing, drive-ins are the are the best way to keep going, keep the music, uh, the um, theatrical experience going, the cinematic experience alive while maintaining social distances. Like, in order to maintain social distancing, the one problem is when I went to the theater on Thursday night, like, nobody was wearing their mask besides me and the employees. Like, my dad had his mask, and I think he and I had them on while um, the employees had theirs on. But the guy taking tickets, I don't think, had his mask on. He may have. I don't remember. Um, I don't want to slander him like that. But um, none of the audience members had masks on. And this is when um, Summit County in Ohio was pushing for mandatory mask wearing at all and all public gatherings. But you know, the place where I place where that theater is, is very, is, is called is referenced to as Barber Tucky by the rest of us for fairly, you know, good reason. You know, it's, it's, they have that sort of, uh, Southern mindset, despite being, uh, outside of a major Northeast, northern uh metropolitan area but yeah at any rate um that's probably the biggest concern i have is if you're going to go to drive-ins you still have to wear your masks especially that's how you how do you yeah 
anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, the only other problem is that you would be paying. It's better to stay for the double feature. You, it can only be done at night, so you have to have your evenings free. And it can own. And you, if you're only coming for one of the movies, then that's twenty bucks or however much you're spending. Probably wasted because you can only. Some of them are maybe per person, so it may not be as bad. But at the same point. You're still paying a bit of a premium over the the only uh, the only other time, especially if it's a per car one, that it makes sense is if you're bringing your whole family. But the other problem is, unless they have a steady speaker system still, which was always the case with drive-ins, most of them now are doing FM radio transmission, which means that if they're doing it through the FM radios. You have to leave your car idling for four hours, or you have to keep the battery switching, or you have to keep switching the car on and off to keep the battery charged. Because if you have a bad battery like my dad did, then, or a weaker battery, we lost, we lost power to his car until, um, until, uh, for like a good two hours. Because it dropped out like 30 minutes into Palm Springs and we didn't get it back up and running until well into um, Relic. So it's, it really was, uh, you, you really, if you're going to leave, your, and of course that raises environmental concerns because you're sitting with your car idling for four hours or you're switching it on and off again, which raises mechanical concerns because that's probably not a good thing for your car to keep turning it off and on and off and on just to keep the battery charged. So, if you can find one with the speaker system, that's probably better than one where you have to rely on your FM radio system. Otherwise, you may as well just bring in your own radio, then leave your car running the whole time. Um, But yeah, like for families, if you're a family and you want to see a movie experience, but you want to bring your own food, you don't want to pay as much to get in... Drive-ins are still a fairly... If it's a per-car drive-in theater, most drive-ins are a solid alternative to the normal in-theater experience, especially now in the time of social distancing. So, your mileage may vary, for sure. (laughs) Um, But it it all depends on what drive-ins are available in your area. If you're in a major metropolitan area, you're going to have to drive a far way out of town, more than likely, to experience a drive-in if you're in a smaller town or a you know in a, in a metropolitan area like i am that has rural spaces around it you're going to find some more um drive-ins available because there are plenty here and there you can find them i think there's even a database of like drive-in theaters that are open in each state so you can find one near you let me see let me see yeah, there's a website called driveinmovie.com that lists all that lists every drive-in theater for uh, each United States, each of the each state in the United States. So, you know, if you want to experience drive-ins, you can. But I would also uh, recommend it mainly for families, unless you have the money to spend for a single or couples car. I know um, a friend of mine from college actually went to. Uh, drive in to watch Footloose because um, her husband hadn't seen it yet, and 
So, I mean, it's in, in the era of social distancing, it's a perfect alternative to the indoor theater, which is, even though they're going to, you know, say that we're sanitizing everything, we're going to maintain all the precautions, you still have that concern about people, uh, especially since not a, none of them are requiring mask uh, wearing, then that's the biggest concern is that if they're not going to have the balls to say no mask, no entry, then you have, then and then I'm concerned about who they're going to let in without wearing masks. And that's the best way to curb. It's been proven. That's the best way. If everybody's wearing masks, whether they're carrying or not, that's the best way to curb transmission. And <sighs> I feel like uh, there's another Bill Nye TikTok recently that was making the rounds where he broke down how skin t- has, how melanin in the skin works. And, and the fact that if you're closer to the equator, your skin is darker, so racism is stupid. Um, which ignore, you know, it, it, it's only a TikTok video, so it doesn't tackle the cultural um, aspects of racism and the fact that, you know, those cultures are, uh, it's, cult- it's a clash of cultures as, more, as well as skin color. But the fact that skin, you know, hating somebody else because of their skin is stupid, which, yeah. If, you know, in 2020, I feel like you, 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 this shouldn't need to be said, but apparently it still needs to be said. And Bill Nye's here to break it down. Hey, you we have different skin colors based on where, you know, based on where we were in the equator, where we were in regards to the equator and how much sunlight we got. So why are you hating based on science? Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> stop hating each other. Just stop it. <laughs> Bill Nye's at the point where like, just stop it. God, he's like the dad who's so sick of the kids fighting in the backseat that he's just done. Uh, anyway, yeah, drive-ins, uh, they're not bad. My Your mileage may vary, and in fact, I may have picked a bad one. It just happened to have 2020 releases this week, so that's why I picked it. But we're going to be back to regular Netflix and chats next week because um, I think they postponed the in-theater um, the indoor theater uh, openings for a while. What's nice is Fandango, um, not to pimp them too much, because, you know, they're still um, a service that adds, like, two bucks to the price of every movie ticket. But at the same point, like, for their, they are... Um, they, they actually have a service now where they cover what theaters are opening... Uh, what theaters are currently open near you. So if you... Go to Fandango, and it may be just in the app, but you, if you, I believe if you pull up your zip code, it will tell you which theaters are open. Uh, we can't find any theaters with showtimes that fit your selection. So yeah, none of the theaters near me are currently open. But I've got some fun ones to look forward to when they open, because I got that Unhinged movie where it's all about... Uh, Russell Crowe committing road rage uh, uh, felonies. Um, but we also got Mulan, Tenet, Antebellum is still going to come out in theaters. So, I mean, we got some good ones coming up uh, still in theaters. But it's just going to take a lot longer because nobody can wear their damn mask and, mo- and a bunch of people think it's not even real. Fun! Fun! Anyway, 
That about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. If you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. While you're here, you can check out all of our other fine programming. Dungeons and Dragon Types comes out every other week. New episode will come out next week where we continue the gym battles. And then, of course, you can check out uh, uh, Living in the Stacks, our back backlog because we haven't been, had a good time reading lately because gestures and everything. But uh, we're going to try and get those microfiches up and running hopefully soon uh, before we head back in. Or we may just hold off and just do um, just do main episodes again once, we're, once things have calmed down and we're able to read again. But, um, but at any rate, uh, you can also check out Donna's stuff over at the Snarkcast, uh, Once More With Feeling, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, The Family Business, and uh, if you yourself are a podcaster and would love to join our uh, fledgling little network, you can do so by sending all your inquiries to gumbacatnetworks at gmail.com, and we will get back to you if we think you're a good fit. You can also uh, find this show on your various podcast providers. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia. And if we're not on your podcast provider of choice, let me know so I can try and add us. And then uh, if you like the show, leave a five-star rating review. Let people know that you like the show and, and tell them they should check it out as well. You can also share us on social media, facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, Twitter at cornjunkiepod, Letterboxd. You can see my written reviews uh, there at cornjunkiepod. I'm trying to get back on Stardust, but gestures at everything and then uh you can also find me on instagram at popcorn junkie podcast uh, not very active on there i'm popcorn junkie on stardust and then um i'm trying to think if there's anything else besides the patreon because they if you want to support the show the best way to do that is to support the show on patreon no tier system little as one dollar a month you get to suggest content for me to review either on this show or for patreon exclusive shows the make a better movie or the munch along which is essentially riff tracks but not by a guy who but not by oh god what was it um what was it that uh mike nelson was revealed to be mike basically mike nelson's a piece of garbage but bill corbett's still cool so um you know, it is what it is. But if you want riff tracks without Mike Nelson's garbage, you can find you can support this show and suggest stuff for me to comment over and make silly jokes at. That's uh, patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. And, uh, you know, you can join my one patron, my buddy Mar, and uh, suggest stuff for me to review because there may be stuff that I missed or, like, uh, stuff that maybe uh, went by my radar. I watched some great stuff. Thanks tomorrow and rewatched some great stuff. Thanks tomorrow. So if you want to suggest stuff for me to review, then do so at patreon.com slash popcorn junkie little as $1 a month. I know times are tough, so don't, if you can't even do that, the best way to do help out the show is to share us on social media and, and you know, every time the new episode comes out, say, Hey, check out this guy. Even when a new episode doesn't come out, say, Hey, check out this guy. He's really insightful. Or I like his reviews or he, or sometimes he screams at kids about their damn magic school bus reboot. And I like it. So share us with your friends. And if you want to talk to us directly, you can send messages to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. If you want me to relay your message uh, on the, on the episodes, uh, I can do so. Otherwise we can talk privately. Um, that does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and, uh, this has been one hell of a year already, and we're only halfway there. (laughs) 
theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantarts.com for more of his artwork. And once again, today and tomorrow, now and forever, Black Lives Matter and trans rights are human rights. <laughs>